0: Hi, I'm Rena Grove. And I'm Madvi
1: Romani. And this is Misinformed, the podcast for lazy but smart people. Every week we'll be discussing a different trend or topic, so you can stay informed the easy way.
0: So, Madvi, what's the topic this week? Last week I did say that we were interviewing investigative journalist Andrea Dip about the evangelical factions in Brazil but we're saving that one for next week due to scheduling. And this week we are discussing China, which is super relevant because over the last six days, basically from last Sunday, the 16th of October, to this Saturday, the 22nd of October, China's Communist Party Congress has been taking place. And this is the 20th Congress. It's an event that happens once every five years. It's really interesting because... It kind of tells us what the world's most populous state is focusing on and where it's going. And this year's Congress was notable in quite a few ways. But one thing that really stands out is that China's leader, Xi Jinping, is going to continue to lead the country after a decade. Previously in China, after Mao, there was this like two term limit for leaders because they kind of acknowledged that. There was a problem of having the same guy have absolute power indefinitely.
1: Which is always a problem, regardless of what country you're in. So I'm glad that at least they realized it. Whether they followed through is another thing.
0: Well, they did. They made it part of their constitution and stuff. But what Xi Jinping did, he actually changed the constitution to make it possible for him to basically stay in power.
1: If only we had foreseen that in any way, if there had been anything in history that had taught us that people do this. Amazing. Sorry for interrupting you again.
0: Yeah, so basically he's consolidated his power, he's created exactly a similar cult of personality like Mao, and he's kind of become synonymous with the Communist Party. So we're getting into this state where basically the future of China and the future of the Communist Party are all sort of tied up with one person. Like you said, this has happened before, it was not good. Anyway, another notable takeaway from this Congress, is that there is this incredible focus on security. So in an article published in the Washington Post, someone did the math, and they counted that the Congress uh, report has the word security in it 91 times. That's up from 55 mentions in 2017 and 36 in 2012. And also, she has this comprehensive national security concept which is one of his slogans and big focuses, and that has its section for the first time, and there's also a section on his global security initiative. So what does this all mean? Well, security, and I mean control, in China is really extreme at the moment, since they've had this zero COVID policy, where people are literally locked down and totally controlled and mass surveilled in the name of health security. But also it's going to have massive global implications because Xi Jinping's concept covers 16 different areas, including polar, space, and deep sea security. Yeah. What is he worried about in the deep sea?
1: I mean, I'm worried about the deep sea, but in terms of like scary things that could kill me, what is he worried about security measures? He's
0: going to get rid of sharks, I guess.
1: Oh, amazing. Great initiative. (laughs)
0: Like we're not
1: doing a good enough job of that anyway. Anyway, please continue.
0: We are doing a great job at sharks, um, and sharks have existed well before trees, which is freaky, so maybe it's time they went. Yeah, so it's basically going to go well beyond China, because in order for China to exist, the world order, which is like the Western-dominated order, is going to have to shift. And China recently had a policing agreement with the Solomon Islands. We know, as we've talked about on this podcast, they've got this Belt and Road Initiative, where we're going to see much more of that. And then there's this threat to Taiwan. So there's basically a lot to digest. So I thought it'd just be good to give some background on who this guy, Xi Jinping, is, and what the deal is with Taiwan, and relations with the West and stuff, to basically just give everyone an understanding of what's going on in China right now. Damn, that is a lot. It's
1: kind of fascinating to hear all of these things that you're talking about, the consolidation of power and the cult of personality. Because like, yeah, you say, you're like, oh, we've seen all of this before. And it makes me wonder if at the time when this was happening in other countries, be it in Italy, be it in the Soviet Union, be it in Germany, be it in Cambodia, people were thinking the same thing. Like, were people as apathetic about this as they are now? Because I think that Not that everyone is apathetic about what's happening in China, but there is kind of this sense of like, well, it's all a global game and it's kind of like a chess game and we all have to see how like we move our, like, you know, pieces around the board. Meanwhile, a country that has been a dictatorship since like what Mao took power in 1949 has been a dictatorship essentially and suffered ridiculous, terrible losses since then. This is just a continuation of that power. And in, like, a hundred years' time, are we going to look back and be like, why did no one do anything like we do with, like, you know, the Third Reich in Germany now?
0: Well, with China, it's actually very difficult, to be honest, because, to be fair, the U.S. has, like, increased its military power around Taiwan and stuff. Biden has started doing this thing where he's stopping U.S. companies from selling to China, from semiconductors and things like this, which are really important to its development in terms of military development. And that's just happened in October. So he's slowing down basically military development and all their ambitions by just stopping companies from selling them bits of technology that they need. But China is a massive military power. And I was listening to the Zeit online podcast this morning and they were saying that China has the largest navy. So you have to be really careful, right, about how you're dealing with China because we don't want World War Three.
1: But see, I totally get that. Do not want war, never want war, love peace. But it feels like this is the same thing that we saw with Ukraine, where people are saying we have to be really careful about how we deal with Russia because we don't want World War Three. We have to be really careful how we deal with China because we don't want World War Three. I understand all of that, And I understand that they're trying to do things for the better of the entire world or something. But it just feels like these tiny countries are becoming sacrificed for the... I don't know. I don't really know where I'm going with this because obviously we don't want World War III. But, like, I don't know. Sorry. That wasn't a really good thought. But I just kept thinking, like, are we going to sacrifice Ukraine? Are we going to sacrifice Taiwan to keep peace? Like, yes, great. Well done, world.
0: But... I kind of understand it, because mm. you can't have World War Three just because of Taiwan, because Taiwan is tiny. But the reason also that the US is defending Taiwan has got nothing to do with the Taiwanese people.
1: The United States of America has never done anything because they care about anyone else. They've always done it for selfish reasons.
0: Yeah, so with Taiwan, TSMC is a big company that makes uh, microchips, and they are... The biggest manufacturer of microchips in the world, and microchips is what makes the entire global economy right now run. It's really, really important. So, somehow, Taiwan is very important because it manufactures this stuff, and that's why China wants control of it as well. And that's why the US also is invested in this, and that's the only reason that anyone cares about Taiwan. If Taiwan was like yeah had nothing like this then it wouldn't really matter for the for china as well it's annoying that taiwan is a democracy and runs basically as a democracy very successfully and it's just against their political ideology rather than purely economic too mm. it's fascinating because like taiwan officially
1: does not exist as a country, right? It's Chinese Taipei, and it's a part
0: of the People's Republic of China. Well, it does exist as a country. It's just like, it depends on who recognizes it as a country. So 14 countries recognize it. Including the Vatican. That's one of my favorite facts. Sorry to jump in.
1: It just made me really happy (laughs) to see that the Vatican recognizes Taiwan. Yeah. I hate the Vatican. I know, but isn't that just a random hilarious fact?
0: Yeah, even the US doesn't recognize Taiwan as a country. So right now, the, the there's a really nice term for how the US deals with Taiwan. Yeah, it's called strategic ambiguity. I really like that term. <laughs> <laughs> when people are like, what are you doing with your life? I would tell you, but strategic ambiguity. It just means like you have to be ambiguous. So China has recently said, and Xi Jinping has recently said, under no uncertain terms, that his aim is to take Taiwan under Chinese control completely. The aim to do this by 2049, which is a random date for me, but anyway. And he does not rule out the use of force in order to do this.
1: Hang on, 2049? He's not very, like, confident, is he?
0: I mean, Uh, it's a tiny island, sorry. Like... I think he is confident. I think he's just throwing out... Dates? Yeah. Maybe also for strategic ambiguity. Ooh,
1: do you think it's a surprise attack? No, sorry, because I'm just thinking the one thing that Russia really had going for it when it attacked Ukraine was the element of surprise. China really does not have the element of surprise when it comes to attacking Taiwan because we all know they want Taiwan. So maybe he's saying we're going to take Taiwan by 2049, but then really he's going to do it next
0: year. But we weren't all... None of us were expecting it. Or maybe he's going to do it on the 1st of January, 2050. (laughs) Just to really mess with everyone. (laughs) Um, And that also shows you how long he's probably going to be in power. But yeah, strategic ambiguity just is so like the U S is not saying whether they would militarily defend Taiwan if there were to be an invasion. Also they, the way they
1: refer to Taiwan in documents also follows this kind of ambiguity. So They acknowledge Taiwan, but they don't acknowledge it as a country. It's super fascinating and an interesting diplomatic tool. Also, the U.S. is well, obviously well aware of the fact that Taiwan makes all of these microchips. So IBM, for example, in Arizona is trying to build these massive, like it's one of the biggest construction sites in the U.S. right now where they're trying to manufacture these chips. And they're retraining people to uh, make them because you need specialized people to make them. Also, it has to be like more sterile than like a hospital. So like you have to wear these suits and all these things. So they're trying to evade this crisis by building the facilities to make these things.
0: I learned a really fun fact. Amazing. So the founder of TSMC, a guy called Morris Chang, he did his engineering degree at MIT and then did a PhD at Stanford. And Texas Instruments, the company, the US company, passed over him for ceo in the early 1980s and then he went back to taiwan and he established tsmc which is now the largest chip manufacturer in the world so like total fail because if they had just made him ceo we wouldn't have this problem right now because u.s would be maybe well i don't know but yeah it's potentially the u.s would already be a leader in this. But also China is trying to do the same thing where they're trying to, like, manufacture these chips and stuff. It
1: makes me kind of happy that the US made such a big mistake because I don't want them to be the leader in anything.
0: Well, it's not the US. It's just, like, a company in the
1: US. Yeah, but let's be real. Companies are the US. Just a little bit to explain how Taiwan became Taiwan. So... The ancestors of Taiwanese indigenous people settled on the island around 6,000 years ago. In the 17th century, there was large-scale immigration from Han Chinese people when it was a Dutch colony. Then in 1683, it was annexed by the, I'm sorry China, Qing Dynasty of China, and then it seceded to the Emperor of Japan in 1895. Taiwan's had a really bad time, basically. It's just kind of been handed around, thrown around, like any sort of colonized small country can tell you happens. The Republic of China, which had overthrown the Qing dynasty in 1911, took control of Taiwan on behalf of the Allies of World War II following the surrender of Japan in 1945. Now, what's really interesting about Taiwan, although everything is interesting about Taiwan, to be honest, is that after the Chinese Civil War, which was lasting intermittently after 1927 to about 1949. But generally, the second phase of the war is considered to be from 1945 to 1949. So what happened with Taiwan is that during this time, the communist forces, which established the People's Republic of China, took control of China, and a lot of the nationalists who were fighting against the Communist Party fled to Taiwan. This is where a lot of these contemporary tensions come from because you have a government that was founded from an opposing force to the Communist Party. The remnants of that is still present in Taiwan. And so these tensions have been lasting since 1949.
0: Yeah, so the main disagreement is that China says, well, Taiwan was originally a Chinese province because all these people, you know, these nationalist people went over there and then they were ruling for the next decades, right? But the Taiwanese say, pointing to the same history, that they were never part of the modern Chinese state that was first formed after the revolution. So the People's Republic of China that was established under Mao in 1949, specifically, they had nothing to do with it because the opposition you know the nationalists had fled there and they were doing their own thing so that's like where this sort of uh interpretations of history sort of branch away from each other because you've got one side saying well basically of course the Chinese fled there and the China this is like part of China and they're saying no we were never part of the communist party we were a whole different thing.
1: I mean just because some opposition leaders, or like a large majority of the opposition leaders fled there, doesn't mean you have sovereignty over the whole island.
0: Well, the opposition leaders, who are known as the Kuomintang, has been one of Taiwan's most prominent political parties ever since sure. they went there. Sure, yeah. but
1: that doesn't mean you have sovereignty over the entire island, over all the people, just because a certain political party is in play there, no? No. Taiwan really doesn't have any natural resources, so... I was watching this documentary where they were interviewing a guy who works for one of these tech companies in Taiwan. And he was saying what the Taiwanese government has done really well is they recognize this very early on. So they invested heavily in schools, in technology, and all of these things in order to make Taiwan the superpower in terms of technology that it is today. And it's known as the Taiwanese miracle. This sort of jump in economic prosperity, and Taiwan is called one of the four Asian tigers, along with Singapore, South Korea, and Hong Kong. They are all smaller countries in East Asia that, between the early 1960s and 1990s, underwent rapid industrialization and maintained exceptionally high growth rates of more than 7% a year, still.
0: It's very extreme, and Orwellian, I think, the way the chinese run the state so xi jinping has an app his own app that everyone is encouraged to listen to and also it's like kind of competitive to see like how many hours of his speeches you listen to and after you listen to his speech or something you get like a multiple choice quiz to like you know internalize everything He said. So it's like complete brainwashing with technology. But then, also, what's kind of cool on this app is there's also like a step counter on it, too, where you can also compare the amount of steps you've had all day compared to your friends and relatives. This is all tracked. And in order to just get along in Chinese society, you do have to interact with this app and all of this sort of stuff. So there's a lot of thought control and brainwashing about. Xi Jinping and he's definitely established this this cult of personality.
1: There's also the gamification of politics in a way. Mm. Like ah oh, this is just something fun compete with your relatives about how many steps you've taken. But really your own brainwashing is becoming a game.
0: Yeah and then they have like the social scores and stuff but it's not even a yeah, I mean, you have to participate in all this stuff in order to live in the society. Because if you have a low social score or something, then you can't work and you can't eat, and your life is gonna be made very difficult. And now with the zero COVID thing, what's happened is before they used to have all these cameras outside it, buildings and surveil people who are maybe activists. dissidents but now they're just doing it to everyone and they're tracking everyone so your freedom of movement is limited and also in London really worryingly last week I don't know if you saw that but there were these protesters outside the Chinese embassy in London and the Chinese officials just dragged one of the activists into the embassy and just beat the shit out of him on English soil. I know within the embassy is supposed to be China and they said they felt it was their duty to do this. So like any dissent is really being crushed very heavily. Yeah.
1: And I mean, Taiwan is coming up with very interesting and clever ways to sort of rebel. So for example, China stopped import of pineapples into mainland China from Taiwan because they claimed that there were pests on these pineapples. And about, I think, 80 or 90% of Taiwan's pineapples are imported to China. They called this movement the Freedom Pineapple. So this happened in March 2021. The campaign was launched by their foreign minister, Joseph Wu, on Twitter, and it was kind of like a play on freedom fries, you know, the U.S., when the U.S. was boycotting France because France wouldn't support them in their war. So basically, Wait, what
0: was this? Can you explain that?
1: The Freedom Fries? Mm. Yeah, basically, back when the United States of America wanted to invade Iraq and France wouldn't do it, the Americans, I mean, it didn't really take off, but the Americans wanted to rebrand French Fries Freedom Fries because they wanted to take the word French out of it. That's literally all there is to that. Anyway. The Taiwanese did it better, obviously. And they launched a social media campaign called Eat Taiwanese Pineapples Until You Burst, which encouraged citizens to increase their consumption of local pineapples. And so, like, restaurants would, like, incorporate pineapples into all of their meals. They found clever and inventive ways to incorporate it into, like, cocktails and other things.
0: The return of the pina colada.
1: Yes, the return of the pina colada. So... Taiwanese firms placed large orders for local pineapples. It was sort of like a really nice moment in Taiwanese politics because all parties sort of like, you know, came together and unified against a common enemy. Across the political spectrum, everyone unified for freedom, pineapples. And yeah, they basically managed to, you know, sell as many pineapples to the country as they had to China. It received like really heavy coverage in Japan. Large orders of pineapples were being placed. A foodie music group in Japan released a music video about the situation. Sales also increased in Hong Kong, which was not subjected to Chinese bans at the time. Also in Australia, it received support, with parallels being drawn to Chinese tariff increases on Australian wine. Yeah, like the former American Secretary of State Mike Pompeo tweeted a picture of himself eating dried Taiwanese pineapples while playing chess using the hashtag FreedomPineapple. What I don't like about this is that he was the Secretary of State for Trump, so I immediately disagree with this man. What a little shit. He was not doing this to support Taiwan, but to, you know, anger China, which I'm like, don't use Taiwan as a pawn against China. You're stereotyping. I'm stereotyping the Secretary of State Mm -hmm. for Donald Trump? Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) I'm sure he was really interested in Taiwanese well-being, uh, recently, Taiwan is actually doing this again because China has imposed the same tariffs on their sugar apple.
0: What is a sugar apple?
1: They're also called Taiwanese custard apples. Oh my god,
0: this sounds delicious.
1: Yeah, I've never eaten one, but they look really cool. I'm Why don't not... we
0: import them here. here?
1: do you want to tell everyone what they look like?
0: Oh, I've seen those. They look like a artichoke, but longer. A little bit longer. I've seen those in the supermarket. Cool. Yeah. Oh, nice. And then when you cut them open, they're white on the inside with black seeds. Yeah.
1: So China is doing the same thing right now with the sugar apples. The problem with fresh fruit and Taiwan is China is the closest trading partner in the sense of fruit needs to stay fresh. So you need to get it to its location right away. So in order, you know, it it really limits it means they can export to what Japan, South Korea, Hong Kong, like they are really limited because they can't, they don't need to export these fruits to like other Asian countries because they have it themselves. You can't sell fresh fruit to Indonesia. They have fresh fruit. They don't need your fruit.
0: We need some of those custard apples.
1: I think we're just a bit too far away for Taiwan to ship
0: us fresh fruit.
1: Like I think it would be very bad for the environment.
0: That's never come into question when it comes to shipping things all over the world. That's true, you're right. I don't think they care about that. Great, this is why the climate is such a catastrophe. Now we just really want sugar
1: apples. My dad spent a lot of time in China for work, and I've made the mistake before of recording an episode and not asking him about it. So I asked my dad about what his thoughts were on Xi Jinping, and he was like, yeah, he's trying to be Mao 2.0, He's a dictator, which I do think Mao is really interesting because I must admit, I did not learn a lot about Mao. So I was listening to the Real Dictators podcast about Mao. One observation, why do all the people start off with like Marxism or like good intentions in mind? Not that I think Mao had good intentions. I think he was always a horrible person. But people always start from communism or Marxism. And then end up brutal, disgusting dictators. Like, what? How does this happen? If you have an answer, write in. Does power just corrupt people that badly?
0: Well, I think Marxism doesn't really work. In a practical level? Yeah.
1: Hmm. Because well, you,
0: have this, you need to change the entire structure of society from the top-down level, right?
1: Yes. I also think that part of the problem is, is that Marx was, if anything, a philosopher, right? He didn't really know. Like, he was constantly broke. He was terrible with money. I think that needs to be addressed and talked about a lot. So it's more of a reworking on a philosophical sense, which doesn't mean that it can't work. What you're saying
0: is Marx was an idiot.
1: No, Marx was not an idiot. (laughs) I'm saying that Karl Marx was not good with money and he was dependent on Friedrich Engels, who was a wealthy son of a factory owner, to bankroll him for his entire life.
0: The other thing, actually, about Marx is His idea was that you have this situation and then this situation becomes, you know, intolerable for everyone. Then the masses will make the next part of um, the development happen where they'll just take over all the factories and stuff and then everything will be all done together. But he didn't say one person would come along. Exactly. Yes. He didn't say one person would come along and yeah like force this change so when Mao came along it was a completely agricultural society working in its own way and then he just tries to put this idea on top of this entire country causing famine and of all the dictators Mao is the worst in terms of the amount of people that he killed either directly as persecution or as a result of famine just caused by his ridiculous policies and the figure is anywhere between I think 45 million and 80 million people that's a lot of people and his policies like the great leap forward he wanted to start you know manufacturing steel in China and then everyone got quotas to manufacture steel that they had to do they had to manufacture steel in order to eat because they wouldn't get their rations of food otherwise so there was this whole system of you know everyone's quotas need to be met but they had no idea even, like, what steel was. So peasants were literally, like, melting pots over fires and stuff like this. It would, the whole thing was so ridiculous.
1: How did this man manage to take over the country? And not Not, like, practically, but just, like, when you hear these really not well thought out things, you're like, how did someone, like, this manage? Like, I don't understand.
0: They did a lot of propaganda i guess and they and they just had a story and they stuck with it and you can see now that mao is coming back into somehow maybe you know he's not so he's not looked at as a as a bad guy but he totally was he killed you know anywhere up to 80 million chinese people right and there's a disconnect between reality and the story which often happens and You can kind of see this is one of the problems that Xi Jinping is going to come up against because he has this political ideology of, say, zero COVID policy, right? It's a political thing. But then he pursues this, which is kind of not a good policy economically or also for the people or anything really because he's limiting freedoms and really annoying people, I guess. And so he's going to have to come up against... like. Are the Chinese people going to put up with this economically, if you know what I mean? Because political ideology and what really happens economically are two different things, and that's where his weakness is right now. So
1: it boggles my mind. I mean, obviously shouldn't boggle my mind given what China does, but reading about like the things they would do in Shanghai, where they just come and seal off entire apartment buildings. Like I know this is a very privileged thing to say, but sitting in Berlin, Germany, I'm just like right
0: yes and in the next few decades where this guy will inevitably be in power because it seems very unlikely like he's weeded out every single kind of opposition under the guise or maybe not so guise of corruption because there was a lot of corruption and then he also sort of took a lot of control militarily as well so he does he is gonna stay there i think and this is a guy who really wants to make China the dominant power in the world and that's gonna affect all of us I think
1: all right so yeah cool on that just very apocalyptic and uplifting note here are three things you can do this week to be a better person
0: thing one read Ai Weiwei's book his memoir 1000 years of joys and sorrows it's really good because it's one family's history uh, in China. So he goes back to his grandfather, then his father. His father was um, helped design the Chinese flag or something like that. It's amazing. And then his role as an artist and an activist in China. It's fascinating and also really inspiring the way that this man has continued to hold his integrity and make art in the face of, yeah, in the face of, like, really, really, really terrible and scary circumstances. Thing two, buy
1: Taiwanese products. Not microchips, I mean, buy some pineapples, buy some sugar apples. Support their fruit economy if you can. Maybe dried Taiwanese
0: pineapples or other fruit. And thing three, enjoy your freedom. It's probably not going to last for long. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also help us by supporting
1: us on Patreon for as little as €4 euro a month. Visit patreon.com
0: slash misinformed. For links to all our sources and for our personal tips on what to watch and read, subscribe to our weekly newsletter at misinformed.substack.com. You can follow us on Instagram
1: at the underscore miss underscore informed or email us your feedback, request, or just to say hi. misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.